Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live for Jesus. Amen. Please be seated except for our children and students, and they can be released to their learning environments. Well, good morning, Journey Church. And those of you who are visiting with us this morning, so good to be together here today. Um, want to just give you a quick, quick report of the Night to Shine aftermath. It was two nights ago that this place, the entire campus was packed to the gills. And it was rocking. There was joy. There was life. There was collaboration. We had 445 volunteers 256 guests, these are our dear friends with disabilities, 215 parents and caregivers, a total of 916 on campus Friday night. The gospel was demonstrated and the gospel was clearly explained. And so we just love the opportunity and we anxiously await all the many ways God uses this kind of Christian ministry and Christian witness. A big shout out to Life Point Church as well as Hope Community Church. Those are our, our main collaborating churches and dear friends, Andy Tracy, Pastor Andy Tracy and uh, Randy Brainer, dear friends and partners in ministry. And we just need to give a quick, quick, whoa, 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 almost. I need to say for who and what. I mean, people went extra innings, and it was a surprise yesterday of the, the cleanup of the aftermath. But man, we need to say thank you to Christy Hanneman Tightsworth right back there. Christy. Yeah, she, she does this hundreds of hours of work in orchestrating uh, all the leaders and volunteers, and she does not do it for a single dime. And so uh, thank you from the bottom of our heart and you just model what sacrificial service and ministry looks like. So thank you, Christy. Um, this past week, I read a poem that I was familiar with, but I'd never read it in, in, in its entirety. It's a poem by a man named Robert D. Abrahams. It was written in 1938 at the beginning of World War II, and it is a poem entitled, The Night They Burned Shanghai. And in the poem, you have the context of a couple that is traveling through Philadelphia. And they are complaining about the commute. And they are discussing their strategy for playing bridge with friends later that evening. At the same time, they discuss events, world events taking place. They're quite concerned over and actively engaged with their commute and their bridge strategy. They also discuss the terrible consequences of war, yet they seem to do so with a cool detachment. Their, their only real concern is the effect that war may have on future adventure and travel together. And the poem ends with these two stanzas. Tonight, Shanghai is burning, and we are dying too. What bomb more surely mortal than death inside of you? 
For some men die by shrapnel, and some go down in flames, but most men perish inch by inch in play at little games. What a penetrating and convicting assessment of the nature of human beings, that the world could be on fire, and yet there could be a cool detachment. And the things that matter the least, there would be an active engagement. And and what a, a picture of our study through Paul's final words to Timothy, his last epistle of all his epistles, 2 Timothy. And the idea that when it comes to, to serving Jesus, comes to living out the gospel, being disciples and engaged with in ministry and making more disciples of Jesus, the question is, do we approach this with a cool detachment? Or is there an, an active engagement in the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is the heartbeat, and I want you to just have a quick review of the kind of emphatic language that Paul has been using and uses in this final epistle. You're going to see some phrases up on here. Some of them are direct quotes, and some are the translated takeaway. Fan into flame. Do not be ashamed. Share in suffering. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Be strengthened. Keep a single-minded focus. Play by the rules. Work hard. Fulfill your ministry. Don't get entangled with silly little games, Timothy. It's intense, urgent, and emphatic. And the question is, why so intense, urgent, and emphatic? And the answer is found in chapter 4, verse 6, where he says, Paul says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Because time was running out. These are his final words. There's no time or space in his letter for theological rabbit trails. So he's cutting straight to the heart. And Paul did not want Timothy or the future leaders of the church or any of the elect to perish inch by inch in play at little games. Why? Because the world is on fire and time is short for all of us. Lives are at stake. The future of the gospel and the shape of the church of Jesus Christ is on the line. And that is why it is so clear, so intense so urgent and a call to timothy up to this point in time the real danger that paul has been addressing to timothy and other leaders and to us as well is that there's a danger there's a danger of compromise and even cowardice for christians in that day and age and in this day and age that that we will be tempted to back down To be careful, to be appropriate in our gospel living, in our gospel witness, in our gospel teaching. Why? Because of social pressure and shaming or 
outright persecution or even just the cost, the price tag, the sacrifice that must be paid in order to be faithful to the gospel. Paul needed to address the cost of discipleship head on with this young pastor. But this morning, we're turning a corner, and I just need to let you know, this is not the only existential threat to the gospel. This is not the only threat to faithful living by Timothy or those that he was passing the faith on to or to us as well. There is another threat just as dangerous, just as menacing, but far more subtle. What is that threat? Well, we find it in our text this morning. If you have your Bibles, open to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to be drilling down on verses 14 through 19 here today. Paul says in this, these six verses, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, but avoid, or, uh, yeah, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord Depart from iniquity. Now I want to take you back through this text a little more slowly, more, a little more thoughtfully this morning in order to experience the contours and texture of Paul's message to Timothy so that we might grasp the meaning and application for our lives here this morning. So here we go, back up to verse 14. You'll see it's back up there with just a little bit of highlights and underlines, those things, words that I think that we need to take a look at. And this is what it says. Remind them, we need to know who is them, of these things. What things, Paul? And charge them, there's the them again, before God not to quarrel about words. What does that mean? Which does no good but only ruins the hearer. What does that mean and, and how does that work so first off we need to look at who is the them and so we look back up in the context we stop at verse 10 we have option number one is the elect so that would be all believers currently and future in that context but if we go further up all the way up to verse 2 of chapter 2 we come to option number 2 or option B this is what I'm in favor of. Why? Because this is actually the only place where Timothy has been told, this is your ministry. In 2 Timothy, this is your ministry. 
Not everyone, but now Timothy seems to be working as a kind of bishop. A lead pastor of the churches, the house churches in Ephesus. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, it says, What you have heard from me, these in, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And the idea here is if you're entrusting these to faithful men, perhaps other pastors, small group leaders, house church uh, uh, leaders, this is going to, if it's done correctly, it's going to percolate up. That's how the gospel always works. It's, it's an upside-down leadership structure. Servant leadership percolates up. And so his primary ministry is finding and training these faithful men so that it might permeate all of the church. So that's the them in my humble assessment. What is the these things that they are to be reminded of? Well, I think that this is much closer in the context. And we only need to go up a few verses to the passage that Pastor Tyler taught last Sunday. And we'll revisit that for, for a second. And the, the key word there is... Timothy is instructed to remind them, and we go up in the context and we find this word, remember. Remind, remember. It's found in verse 8 of chapter 2. So I believe that this is the context or the information that Timothy is supposed to remind them of. What does it say? Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. The offspring of David as preached in my gospel. A few verses later, he says, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. That is the assurance of salvation that's given to those who believe. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. That is the promise to faithfulness and faithful living in sacrificial ministry. And then we read, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. That's amazing grace. How sweet the sound. And I would argue that contained those simple statements that every major doctrine, every essential doctrine is in view. God, man, sin, salvation, the atonement, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus the Christ. The reigning of Jesus, Messiah, mission, calling, sacrificial, faithful living for the gospel. These are central. These are essential truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what's the point? The point is this. Focus on essentials. Remind them of the, these things. Central and essential things. However, just as important as reminding him to pass along to them, the faithful, uh, the, these things, those central and essential things of doctrine. Paul then instructs Timothy to emphatically charge them. 
against quarreling over lesser things. We look at this again, remind them of these things, and charge them before God. The word is very powerful, charge. And do it before God. That's to bring a, a level of seriousness and a gravity to this, this uh, commandment. And what is it that he is to charge? Not to quarrel about words. What does that mean? If we look at this in the original language, it's a compound word that literally means a word fight. A word fight. A war of words. And if you look at Strong's Concordance, this is how Strong's uh, explains this word quarrel. Quote, to wrangle about empty and trifling matters. Empty and trifling matters. In other words, stay out of the weeds of needless doctrinal controversy. Doing this, engaging in the weeds of doctrinal controversy, always wreaks havoc on those who hear. The word for ruin is in, in the, the, the Greek is catastrophe. Yeah, it's, it's a cognate. It's a catastrophe. You've seen it happen. People in a food fight over either a doctrinal, a lesser doctrinal issue, or a philosophy, or music, things that like, the Bible's silent over. And how does it ruin? Well, one, it actually teaches others that are watching, yeah, it's good to fight. It's good to win an argument. That's the point, right? Because I like, that guy was smarter. I want to be really smart. Or there's a whole other group of people that just goes, ew, I think I need a shower. And whatever it is that they are, I don't want to be that thing. And probably many other ways that catastrophe happens amongst people who witness this kind of theological food fight. An overemphasis of lesser things, extras, non-essentials, pet theological hobby horses, unnecessarily damages individuals and destroys unity. Now, right there, the whole message. Paul's saying that there really are these things that, that we need to remind, be reminded of and remember. There really are essential things, but then there are things that are not essential. And here's your fill in the blank if you're following along and you want to follow along in your, in your um, folder. Here's the first sub-point. All truth matters. We're not saying that, that something doesn't matter. All truth matters, but some matters more. All truth. We're not saying it's not unimportant. We're saying it's less important. We've already seen this in uh, in. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me. There is a pattern of sound words. Doctrine and teaching matters. But not all doctrinal topics matter equally. We see the show up in, <coughs> excuse me, in 1 Corinthians 15. Ne never more clear than, than in 1 Corinthians 15. In verse 3 he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance 
more important or most important is his emphasis here that there are some things in the scripture, some things in the gospel that are of greatest and primary importance. This does not mean the de-emphasis of lesser things or that they don't matter at all or that we don't have time or place or there's not Bible verses on it. This means that there are essentials that must take priority. And when we go back and we, we continue to read in 1 Corinthians 15, he names a few of them. I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. If you got one pitch to throw over home plate, two outs, bases loaded, and you got one shot at this, Paul says this is the pitch you throw right here. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And then he adds another one, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. First importance, all truth matters. Some truth matters more. Two errors that we see in the church across the world. The first error is that all truth matters equally. So anytime you detect anything that you disagree with, you must enter in and give correction. There's a, a group called IFCA. Some of you are familiar with the IFCA. IFCA stands for uh, Independent Fundamental Churches of America. It's a, certainly a wonderful thing. The fundamentals of the faith are the essentials. That's a good thing. Here's the problem. Over the years, this group had such a reputation for theological food fights that some people renamed them. And so instead of the IFCA standing for the Independent Fundamentalist Churches of America, they said, no, 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 I fight Christians anywhere. And we certainly don't want to commit that error. There are some things that we just don't need to fight over. But there is an equally dangerous error in the church, and that is that unity matters most, even at the expense of truth. So we will embrace the lowest common denominator for salvation only, the minimal standard of theology. And maybe you've heard this, and I have friends that, that fly under this banner, no creed but the Bible which happens to be a creed in addition to the Bible. But it's not being honest, because every single one of them actually has an unwritten creed that they're living by, and it's really the theological takeaways and the positions that they take on certain scriptures. So it's not true, but it's an attempt at that lowest common denominator. Unity at all costs. And both of these must be addressed. So in this opening salvo of verse 14, we actually have both sides in, in the tension that must be struck. That all truth matters, but some matters more. Lest we think we need to start to, to get sloppy and lazy and capitulate and throw stuff out the, the window, look where Paul takes the argument next. Verse 15. He says... Remind them of these things. This is 14. 
charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. And then watch this. Do your best. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. The do your best. Uh, diligent is what that means in the original language. Work hard. The old King James is study. Study hard. Be diligent. Do your best. Approved unto God. Or approved uh, to God as one approved. The word approved, dokimos, means certified as in the certification of official currency. Coinage. Official Roman currency. There were knockoffs. There were counterfeits. But there was certified money. And that's what this word has to do with. It's not a knockoff. It's not a counterfeit. Do your best. Approved. And how? How does Timothy do this? Rightly handling the word of truth. Rightly handling the word of truth. Uh, the word in the, in the Greek, orthotomeo, ortho, that means to stand upright or straight, orthotic. Um, and tomeo means to actually cut. And so you put them together and you get this word picture to, to cut straight. And this is uh, what's called in the, the New Testament, it's a hapax legomena. Fancy word, isn't that cool? I went to seminary for that. Hapax legomena. just feels good to say that stuff, man. I only get to do it once in a while. But it's a one-time occurrence, and we don't know for sure the metaphor that Paul is thinking about. Because this metaphor shows up in extra-biblical sources. Three metaphors right off the top of my head. One was stonemasonry. That at the quarry, to cut the stone just so, so that they can port it. And when they start to build something, it fits perfectly. You don't need stonemasons there refitting the stones because they've been cut straight. The second one was making roads. Cutting straight, you're filling the valleys, you're bringing down the hills, you're cut, cutting straight through the mountain, and it's a straight road. You can see that road for miles. Cut it straight. And thirdly, it was used in the tent-making business. Paul? And the idea of getting these camel skins or whatever animal, and they're all these sloppy shape, however they skinned them out and dried them out into leather. And now you actually have to trim the edges and you need to fit them together so that you can make a tent worthy of the name Paul's tent making business. You got to cut it straight so that the pieces fit together. We don't know the metaphor, but we do know the meaning. You know what the meaning is? Work hard at doing theology. Read, analyze, synthesize, organize, systematize, and then go catechize. Isn't that beautiful? This is his whole call in life. This is his joy. This is going to be the foundation of his reward and judgment. What's the takeaway? Mark Ross, professor, says this, our expression of unity, so important. Our expression of unity must be a unity of the truth as the truth is in Jesus, cites Ephesians 4.21. Unity matters. Unity matters, but not at the extent or the expense of truth in handling the scriptures correctly. 
So in this context, what Paul is trying to tell Timothy, and I believe the Spirit is trying to tell us, and it's your second sub-point, fill in the blank, rightly handling or cutting straight the Scriptures includes accurate assessment as well as accurate interpretation. It's not just what is any single text mean, how do I properly interpret it, but what texts matter most? Because there's some things that God made unclear, they're mentioned, he doesn't revisit them, because they're not that, we're intercepting a communique between Paul and the church at Corinth. And we go, that's interesting, that didn't show up from Genesis up to this point, doesn't show up again till Revelation, that's interesting. What's going on in that, that time and that place? And you know what? If God doesn't repeat it or clarify it, lighten up. But there's something that he, he is serious as a heart attack. And he says over and over and over again, and it's crystal clear. And then there's everything in between there. And it is the job of the student of the word that all of us should be. Man, we're the most literate society that's ever been on planet earth. We have more access to Bibles and Bible study materials. Don't just come to church and expect me to spoon feed you when you know how to read and you're smart. You do some straight cutting as well. But as you do that, rightly handling includes accurate assessment of importance as well as accurate interpretation. Here's the question. Do you know how to distinguish between critical and essential and central and periphery, uh, extras, and non-essential? Because it's not even just those two things. I want to just commend you to a book by Gavin Ortland. It's called Finding the Right Hills to Die On. Uh, early on, it's either in the introduction or in uh, the first chapter. He offers... Um, using a model from Al Mohler called, called doctrinal triage or theological triage. And he talks about uh, first order, second rank order, third rank, and fourth rank doctrines. And just to give you a quick run through, you'll see it on a slide up here. First rank doctrines are essential to the gospel itself. Second rank are urgent for the health and practice of the church such that they frequent, frequently cause Christians to separate at the, the level of local church, denomination, or ministry because they're important to that level but not central to the gospel. There's third-rank doctrines. They're important to Christian theology but not enough to justify separation or division among Christians. You take communion with those people. You don't go die heretic. And fourth-rank doctrines are unimportant to our gospel witness and ministry collaboration. They just don't matter. They're nonsense to wrangle about, to get in a theological food fight over. What are some examples? The Trinity, the deity of Christ, the atonement. These are first-rank doctrines. Now, second-rank. I would actually put baptism in first-rank as a thing, but how do we uh, live out or understand baptism? 
it's a second rank concern. And there are some here that were baptized as children. I would prefer that you do it. I'm, I'm Baptist. But I understand this is a second rank. People, you're allowed to be a member here without being baptized. If I was purely Jim Roden the Baptist, from my training, I might make you be baptized. But I understand and I love the EFCA heritage and DNA. So you can take communion if you love the Lord Jesus Christ and you're not, you're, you're repenting of all known sin. You can do that before you get baptized because in the church that I grew up, you couldn't take communion, even if you were saved, until you got dunked. Okay, so the second rank doctrine, third rank doctrine, the millennium. I'm a millennialist. I think that there's going to be a literal return of Christ and he's going to reign for a thousand years and this earth, same one, is going to heal. He's going to make it so. Before the new heavens and the new earth. But guess what? I've got dear brothers. In seri- like, like partners in ministry, no light between us who go, I'm not sure about that. I lean a little more on millennial. It's a third rank doctrine. And fourth rank, musical instruments, number of angels. Couple, several months ago, I put my foot in my mouth. I never made an apology, but I talked about the Nephilim. And man, I came off like it's a first order doctrine. It was way too emphatic. And for that reason, I hurt someone very dear to me. And for that, I need to apologize. Uh, you don't know if you know the word Nephilim. I'm not going to explain it. But guess what? It's way down the list. Way down the list. It's interesting. But it has no importance theologically to, to living and walking and serving Jesus together. So here's the idea. All truth matters. Some matters more. Can you tell the difference? Is, is there a grid of theological triage so that you, so that I, so that we do not get these out of order? Essential things versus extra things, peripheral things. Can we tell the difference? Well, here's why it's so important. And this is where Paul picks it back up again. Because he starts with uh, quarreling about words. And he says, Timothy, as for you, I'm not saying to go light. Go hard in handling the, the scriptures accurately. And then he comes back in verse 16. And watch what happens to those that, keep, that get these out of order. He comes back and says in verse 16, avoid irreverent babble. He's back to this quarreling about words topic. For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. It doesn't stay the same. It's not the same topics. The character is transformed of this kind of contentious person. And the people that follow the contentious person, person, they change even more. You follow? It's interesting. Followers of teachers... It's as if they, 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 the, the, um, the flaws of the teacher get magnified in the next generation. And so if you're wonky and you're like contentious, your followers are even worse. And this is what it says. Avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And then verse 17, their talk will spread like angry, and now it's like an unchecked infection destroying the body, gangrene, destroying the body, the church. 
with gangrene. And then he names these two individuals. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. We've heard the name Hymenaeus. That was in 1 Timothy chapter 1. We don't know who Philetus is. We don't know any more about them than this. But notice what they're being used as an example. And look what it says in verse 18. They have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. So they have moved from arguing over words. They're not ordering the topics correctly. It's a food fight. It gets worse in their followers. And now these two are committing full-blown heresy. And now they are denying and undermining an essential doctrine. The physical, bodily return of Jesus Christ and the physical, bodily resurrection of his saints. And they just said, no, it happens spiritually. Smoke and mirrors, nothing to see here. Now we're all in touch with the cosmic Christ energy. That's, that's their heresy. And this is upsetting the faith of some. What began as quarreling about words becomes irreverent babble, more and more ungodliness spreads. And now there's a denial of a central Christian doctrine. The physical bodily resurrection from the dead. What's the point? Here's the next fill in the blank. The kind of person who continually argues over non-essentials. Hey, I've done it. Hopefully I'm stopping it. Hopefully Christ is changing me. Because I love to argue. I love it. Ask my wife, please pray for us. I love to correct even words that, that she goes, you know what I meant. I know, but you all use the wrong word. Pray for us. The kind of person who argues continually over non-essentials doesn't repent. The kind of person who argues over non-essentials will sur- eventually, eventually swerve from essentials and destroy others. That's what Paul is teaching here. The kind of person who loves to argue over trifling matters, who demands an official position on all things truth, even non-essentials, is the kind of person who will end up committing full-blown heresy and apostasy. And along the way, they will destroy the faith of many in their wake. Quirky actor and comedian Emo Phillips tells the story of encountering someone on the Golden Gate Bridge. In his words, once I saw a guy on a bridge about to jump, I said, don't do it. And he said, nobody loves me. I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. I said, are you a a Christian or a Jew? He said, a Christian. I said, me too. Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. I said, me too. What franchise? He said, Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too. I said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. I said, me too. 
Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. I said, die heretic, and pushed him off the bridge. <laughs> What's the point? The kind of person who argues over non-essentials will swerve from essentials and destroy others. Take a lesson from the reading today. The Pharisees were notorious of misordering the ranks of, and the Sadducees for that matter. They could not determine what's important and essential and what is non-essential. Jesus says in Matthew 15, 9, In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now they're just making stuff up. He says to them in Matthew 23, 24, you blind guide straining at, at a, out a gnat and swallowing a camel. They were taking lesser issues and making them essentials. And, and what did this do to the people who followed them? We read in Matthew 23, 15, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across seas to, and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice a, a child of hell as yourselves. These are the kinds of people who ruin the faith of others. They love theological food fights. And they were already at work in the church of Ephesus and in the churches on the island of Crete. Listen to a few excerpts back to 1 Timothy a little bit, a couple weeks from now, 2 Timothy, and then from Titus. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. So the teaching is a kind of teaching that leads to greater godliness. The other direction, the direction we're supposed to be going with our teaching. If they teach something different, verse 4, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, sound familiar? Which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. In a week or two, we're going to read this, 2 Timothy 2.23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And then to Titus, on the island of Crete. Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. So serious that Paul says, you're going to have to flex your muscle. Not in my church. There's the door. Listen to what he says. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, three strikes, you're out. Have nothing more to do with him. Why? Because unity is on the line. The souls of men and women are on the line. The witness to a watching world is on the line. Paul ends this text, final verse, God's firm foundation stands bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are his, in quotes, what's that? What's, where's he quoting from? Um, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Quotes again. Fascinating that first, first thing here, depart from iniquity. 
Now it's not just quarreling about words and ruining the faith of others, upsetting the faith of some. Here, this kind of contentious, everything is a battle line, is called iniquity. By the way, that's not run-of-the-mill sin. You know what iniquity means? A twisting of truth. An intentional twisting of truth. That's serious. But where do the quotes come from? They're found in number 16. Paul is referring back to an event called Korah's Rebellion. If we were to go back and study this, we'd find they're wandering in the wilderness. And there's a man named Korah, Korah, Korah and he's got a, another guy named Dathan, and I think Abiram. And the three of them together with their households come and they say, Hey, Moses, Aaron, who put you in charge? Don't you know that God calls all of us holy? Why do we have to listen to you? God speaks to us as well. This grieves Moses, because Moses didn't want to lead this pack anyway. He asked God to kill him instead of lead this group. But Moses is leading, and now this happens. He seeks the Lord, and the Lord says, okay, tomorrow, tell them to get their fire censures and go on two sides, separate. And by the way, tell everyone to get away from those guys. And God does something to show whose is his. The earth opens up and swallows the rebels. And anyone that's around them that didn't take the commandment, get away from them. Anyone that didn't take it seriously got swallowed up with them. Here's the direct quotes. Number 16.5. He said to Kor and all his company, in the morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and bring him near to him. The one who cho he chooses, he will bring near to him. And then a little bit later on, he spoke to the congregation, Depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest ye be swept away with all their sins. Here, here's the takeaway. God is good. We, I can only ensure that I comply with what God wants for me. I can't make anyone else. I can influence. I can encourage. I can teach. I can edify. I can bring correction. But even that is like, What's their correction tolerance? I might do it, but man, I've had so many people leave the church because I'm just correcting something. Like, nah! He doesn't pray in tongues. And they leave because I don't have a prayer language. I can make one up. It's a real thing for some people. And I go, you can be here. Do I pray in tongues? I guess I could. I could try. But because... The Lord didn't give me that thing. I'm out of here. I'm gonna, i got to go find a charismatic church where they teach this thing. I'm like, my heart, I love you. Pray for me. Pray in tongues for me. I don't care. One time a guy prayed for a, a, a calf strain, and he did it in tongues. I let him. Didn't think about it again. A couple days I thought, oh my goodness, it doesn't hurt. Did it heal? Did, did th that prayer I don't know guess what I don't have to know I don't have to decide I don't have to make a judgment about it 
But if I fight about it and I'm known as that kind of guy, if we're known as that kind of people, it's iniquity. It starts to become evil, the degree to which we need to clarify and make sure, well, I need to make sure you know that, you know, that kind of stuff. Solomon said this in Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, and it's really interesting in the Hebrew construction. He says, six things that the Lord hates, seven, seven that are an abomination. In that construction, these six things are really bad, but the final one is the worst of all. Six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and here's number seven, worse than all of them, one who sows discord among brothers. You unnecessarily cause a fraction in unity because of an opinion or a philosophy, or a preference, and you sow that into a congregation, that's iniquity. If that's not serious enough, listen to what Paul said to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 3.17, that the body is is the temple, not this body, but in this context, it's the church. He says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. God is serious about unity and understanding what doctrines are essential that we must not capitulate on no matter what the culture says and what are negotiables that we should not be fighting over or dividing over or separating over. Serious stuff. Here's the bottom line for our message and then we're out of time. Because time is short and unity precious. Emphasize the essentials. Lighten up on the extras. And avoid any nonsense. Meaningless babble. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for its ability to penetrate and convict. And oh Lord, that we would actually, in your word, learn how to understand things of primary importance, secondary importance, and so on. Lord, that we would be passionate about the ironclad not essentials and be willing, like, like the brother of Jesus, Jude says, to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to all the saints. But then, Lord, how to have conversation and love discuss things appropriately as we study the word. Help us to strike the balance and to be a people that I've come to describe as being reasonable, but reasonable within reason. Help us, Lord. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.